Well, good morning again, church. If you would, take your copy of God's Word or a pew Bible in front of you and open to the book of James. And we're still in chapter 1. We're working through James. We have a a number of visitors here today. Uh, We're working through, verse by verse, the the book of James, a, a very highly practical book about Christian living uh, about what, how our, how our faith is to be lived out. Um, the, the, the title of the whole series is, is James, a faith that works. A faith, not, not, not works that, that makes us faith, but faith, a genuine faith that shows itself in good works, in, in how we live, in changed lives. And, uh, and it's been a wonderful study thus far, and I pray that it will continue to be and that the Lord is using it uh, in your life, as he has in many, I've heard lots of, of great responses, and, uh, and it's, been, it's been a wonderful study so far, but I have to change it and find it, because I got you all looking and I'm not there. Okay, let's do something different. We don't do this all, every time, but let's stand for the reading of God's Word, and I'm going to read just so that we kind of have a, a, a grip of where we've been and where we're going, verses 1 through 15. Today, specifically, we're going to look at verse 12 again. We looked at it last week. We're going to look at it again, but we're going to be, we're going to be looking specifically today at verses 12 through 15. But let me, let's, let me read this together for you. Please follow along. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let, not, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this study of James. We thank you, Father, that you have given us very, very practical, very, very real instructions on how to live, on how to live out faith. Today, Father, as we think about the subject of temptations in our life and our propensity to sin, Father, I pray that you would reveal the darkness of our hearts to us, that we may confront it, that we may uh, put up barriers, borders, that we may confront our sin, that we would not be a people who would be at ease in sin, but we would be a people seeking to glorify you, to know you, a people ready to battle 
not only the sin of the world, but the sin in us. Father, would you give us this through your spirit and through your word today? May we be changed, a people, a people ready to live out our faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Do any of you ever pray or think of how much you would like to have a life of happiness, a life of fulfillment, a life of of blessedness? Of course you do, right? Have any of you ever imagined at the day before you, when you stand before the Lord and, and you wish that he would say upon you, well done, good and faithful servant? right? We, we do. We, we want that. We think about that. If we are God's people, if we love him, we have a desire to serve him. We, we have a, a desire that we want God to be pleased with us. We want God to bless our lives. We want God to be with us, his, his presence. We want to feel him, know him, live for him. We, we genuinely do. And I, I, think, I think all of you that I know here, you, you genuinely do as well. Here's a question for you, though. Have you ever considered how the way you deal with temptation has to do with the blessings in your life or how God will receive you when you come before him. Have you ever thought about that? According to our text today, those are not separate ideas. They are very much intertwined. And we're going to talk today specifically about temptation is where our our verse leads us. And it's a tough topic And it's a tough topic because we all deal with temptation. We all deal with sin. I don't want you to write off today. I don't want you to think about other people. I don't want you to think about the things that everyone else has done. I want you to deal with this the way that I had to deal with this all week. The Lord revealing in me, Bob, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. If you do that, you will walk away today with your life changed. You will walk away today better prepared to live a Christian life, better prepared to receive the crown of life at the end of this life when eternal life begins, according to the text here. Look, look with me again. We're going to begin in verse 12. We looked at this briefly last week, um, but this week I want to connect it here with the paragraph also. I think it fits with both. Uh, because here James is talking about trials, and he's going to be talking about two types of trials we're going to see, but he's, he's been talking about trials that come against us, right? The difficult things, these hard things. Again, he's, he's writing to his church that has been scattered in the dispersion he writes about in verse 1. They've come under hard times. They are being persecuted. They're dying. They're, they're losing their jobs. They're losing their families. They're losing their homes. They are foreigners in another land because of their faith, because all it would take is to say, oh, I'm not really that serious about Jesus. And they would live comfortably, but they're not. They're saying, I love Jesus. I am a Christian. And because of that, they're being persecuted and they're being driven away. And so James is writing to them to encourage them. And so the first part of the trials we read about are all of these trials, all of these hard times that come against you. Know, have joy when you meet various trials, James says. Why? Because we know in them God is working to sharpen us. God is, is working to remove the dross. He's, he's working to, to make us more pure. He's doing something in you that takes this trial. When you see, when you're in this trial and you need wisdom, come to God. Come to God expecting that He will answer. 
When you're in various trials, perhaps you're not taking it serious or perhaps you're comparing yourself to others or looking down upon them because you're affluent and they're not. Perhaps you're the poor brother and the trial even seems more difficult. Remember who you are in Christ. If you're the rich brother, don't go, don't go through this trial and miss out. Remember your humiliation in Christ. We talked about that last week. And then James gives this beatitude in verse 12. It's a beatitude, much like Jesus gave in, in the beatitudes. James writes and says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed, uh, uh, God's joy, spiritual fulfillment. Uh, not, not just happy. Are we happy when we go through various trials? Not necessarily. But we can have joy because we know what God is doing in us. And we can know that we are being blessed. Blessed is the man who undergoes, who who remains steadfast under trial. When the hard time comes, when the difficulties, what we've been talking about so far, when those come and and we have joy and we ask God for wisdom and we don't count upon our own uh, uh, financial status or, or lack thereof. We remain faithful to God during those trials. We will see God's blessings in our lives. We will grow spiritually, James tells us that. We will have joy. We will, uh, I, how many people in this room could say, I've been through difficult seasons and I would never want to go through that season again? But I'm so glad God did that. Now that, that just seems strange, doesn't it? But when we understand God and we understand what he's doing and we understand that there is blessing that comes through our faithfulness in these trials, trusting in Christ, it begins to make sense. And so this, this beatitude says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test. So here we're talking about all of life. When he has stood the test, all of life is going to be a trial, friends. I'm sorry to tell you, but we live amongst sin. It's going to, until we go home, it's going to be a trial. And many of us face our biggest trials at the end of life. How will we finish? I pray and hope you'll finish well. As your pastor, I'm, I'm here to encourage you and help you to finish well. Run the race till the end, this race of faith. Okay, uh, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Again, we talked about last week. This is kind of like the uh, the if you think of the the ancient Roman games, the the victor would receive the uh, the the leaf crown, right? That they would put on. That's the idea here. That they would receive the crown of life. That they would be the victor that God has promised to those who love him. And again, here's the key. How do we endure trials? How do we endure in a way that we are blessed? Genuine love for God. Genuine love for Jesus Christ. The great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's the great promise. And I want to see all of you Stand before the Lord and receive that promise. I want to see, I, I, I want for you. I know you want for yourself to be accepted by the Lord. You want for yourself to receive the crown of life. And I want that for you as well. And so there's one more thing that James tells us that we need to be aware of. Another type of trials. Our own sin and temptation. Our own sin and temptation. And so that's what we see here 
in, in verses 13 through 15. And so we, we need to think about this word trial because it was also used in verse 2. And in verse 2, it's pretty obvious that James is talking about various trials of life that come up to us. In fact, he even uses that word various trials. It's, it's amazing. You know, why does this book have such great application? Because it's not very specific. We know the context and we know the people that James is writing to. They're under uh, uh, one type of trial being persecuted. And so if James would have write, written and said, when you're persecuted, we would brush it off and say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not really undergoing what, what they are. But no, he writes and says various trials. And so we can apply that for the things in our heart that makes us anxious. We can apply that for medical issues, financial issues, relational issues, um, our own battles and sinfulness various trials that come against us. And so that's one way that James uses trials. And in these trials that James is talking about, God is sovereign, God is over them, and God is using them to perfect us. He's using them to bring out patience. He's using them to bring out righteousness and faith. And we understand this, right? Now he's going to turn and he's going to talk about a different type of trials. And this is the individual trials of dealing with how do we fight sin. How do we handle temptation? How do we handle temptation? It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter where you live, what your bank account looks like. We all are faced with temptations, aren't we? And we all will continue to be. And so this is important for us to realize and to look at. And so this morning, I want us to, to look at this, to understand temptation and understand how we fight temptation the way that James talks about here, that we may endure, that we may receive the crown of life. And so there's three things here that we need to look at to understand temptations that, that are in this text. And the first is that we must admit the source of temptation. We must come to a place where we can admit the source of temptation. Where does temptation come from? That's a critical question, isn't it? Is it where, where, where does temptation come from? Where does this influence, this lure of sin that I act upon? Where does it come from? Where can I, where can I place the blame on temptation? And so we have to understand the source of temptation. And the first thing we see is God is not the source of your temptation. God is not the source of your temptation. Look how James says it. He says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. So evidently, there is something happening within this hard time, within the, the people that James pastors, where he is hearing them say, God made me do this. It's God's fault that I'm sinning. If, if God hadn't done this, then I wouldn't be sinning. Perhaps it's because of the trial that they're in. Perhaps they're saying, if God wasn't sovereign and he didn't put me in this situation and he didn't make it where I, you know, I was persecuted and have to leave home, then I wouldn't be sinning like I am. Okay, we don't know exactly what it is, but, but in some way it's happening enough that James specifically writes and says, you cannot blame God for your sin. You cannot blame God for tempting you. I've heard many people reason this way. I've heard people explain sin saying, I was born this way, right? God, you made me this way, so I have to sin. And this happens on a number of different levels. People try to uh, pass away the responsibility, uh, the sin of homosexuality by saying, God made me this way. 
Um, I've heard a lot of uh, arrogant, selfish people say, well, that's just how I am. We hear the excuse, well, I'm only human. (laughs) I always giggle at that one. You know how humans were originally made? You know how humans will be one day? Sinless. That doesn't work. All of these are attempts to pass the blame. God, I wouldn't have sinned if you hadn't. Now let's go back. Very first sin. We see this. We want to be the victims, don't we? We want to be the victims. We want to say, it's not my fault. I'm not responsible. Okay? That's what we want to do. In fact, Adam and Eve, okay? God says, don't eat the fruit of that tree. Okay? They eat the fruit of that tree. Something happens. God comes looking around. He's looking for Adam and he says, he says, where are you? What have you done? You know, why, why is this going on? Who told you that you're naked? And Adam goes, you know what, Lord? You're right. I disobeyed. No, he goes, that woman! <laughs> you gave me that woman. He's blaming God. He's blaming the woman. He's blaming God. If you hadn't have given me this woman, God, it would have all been good. God goes to the woman. He goes, Eve, this isn't good. You know, what's, what's going on here? What's the matter? And Eve says, I know I've disobeyed you. I've sinned. No. She goes, it's that serpent. <laughs> if you hadn't have put that serpent in the garden, this would have never happened. Friends, many of you are living lives where you're playing victim for your sin. You're playing victim for your sin. Maybe you're blaming God. I don't know. But God is not the source of your sin. God himself cannot sin. He cannot be tempted with sin. And he does not tempt us with sin. He is not the source of your sin. Don't pass the blame onto him. Second thing that we might say. Let me, let me back up on, the, on this, okay? God, God is incapable of sinning. He is, he is not leading us to sin. Um, sometimes we get the idea that, that God is like uh, a SWAT team that's posted a stakeout, right? We've all seen this, okay? They'll lure somebody, right? They'll, they'll put something on there, um, you know, perhaps, you know, child trafficking or something like that, and they'll, they'll have these guys come in, and they're coming to do the crime, and, and the police have set up this whole big thing, and they bring them in, and then, boom, I got you! That's not God. God isn't trying to set you up to sin to say, I got you. God's just the opposite. God has done everything that he can. He's warned you. He's given you. Your conscience still remains. You know, everything in us revolts against this sin, but then we start to give into it and we like it and the lure, the enticement that we'll talk about. God is not the source of your sin. God is not trying to say, I got you. God is not trying to trap you to send you to hell. In fact, he's done everything that he can to make a way to escape your sin. He, so God is not the source of our sin. We have to look somewhere else if we're going to find the source, okay? Second, the devil is not the source of your sin. Now, at first you might go, wait a minute. He's the tempter. He is the tempter. He's the deceiver. He wants nothing else than to to, to dangle things in front of you that would lead you off. But he did not make you sin. The devil made me do it. Can't work. Some of you want to still be the victim. We want to say, well, okay, so maybe God didn't make me do it, but the devil, he surely made me do it. He didn't make you do it. James is very clear here. You are the source of your temptation. Your own sin 
Your own sin is the source of your temptation. Listen to this in the inspired word of God. Each person, when he is tempted, he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Not God, not Satan, not your wife, not the person who abused you, not anyone else that we want to lay the blame on. The first thing that we have to do, that we must do, is come to realize that we ourselves are responsible for our own sin. We are responsible for our own sin. It couldn't be plainer than this. Temptation becomes a reality. Sin becomes a reality because of the corrupted desires in our own hearts. We must admit our part in temptation. Friends, you can't come to Christ. You can't be saved unless at first you come and you take responsibility for your own sin. You stop blaming others. You stop blaming God. You stop blaming Satan. You stop blaming whoever and say, God, I have sinned against you and I deserve your wrath. But now I trust in Jesus Christ and I trust in what he has done for me. That's what it means to become a Christian, to place your faith. You, you have to understand the nature of your sin. The gospel is not come and have a wonderful life, come and have lots of money, come and, and get well and healed or, or any other thing about us that makes it all about us. The, the, the primary issue at stake in the gospel is that you are a sinner who needs to be reconciled to God. Because of your own sin, because of giving in to your own temptations, not because of what anyone else has done for you. Do you know that? It is an extremely healthy thing when we can be honest with ourselves and we can recognize our sin. We can recognize the things that tempt us and we can admit that we are the source of our sin. When I sin, it's not because God made me do it. It's not because the devil made me do it. It is because of the choices that I have made to give in to temptation and to sin against God. I am the one to blame. Can you say that? Or are you still trying to pass the buck? Second, so we have to understand the source of our temptation. We have to be aware of the force of temptation. Temptation is a tremendous force to be dealt with. And I'm afraid that we dabble with it. We might even know it's there, but we do not take it seriously. Okay, Hurricane Matthew came through. They said this could be category four force wind. The eye of the wall might pass over Titusville. You know what I did? I closed all my shutters. I boarded up my house and I went to Orlando because I understood the force of what they were saying. Friends, do you understand the force of the hurricane that's within you that is temptation? Do you understand it? Let's think about this. James shows us the, the, the force in a, in a course here of the force and temptation. First is desire. Temptation begins with desire. But each person, when he is tempted, he is lured and he is enticed by his own desire. And then James adds, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. It is in our own fallen human nature that we find this desire for sin. And it pops up all over. Perhaps you're so ruled by sin, a certain sin in your life, that something, you think about it all the time. It controls your thoughts. Yeah, it might look good on the outside, but on the inside, you know that you're dealing with this all the time. Perhaps this is the way our desire works. Perhaps it's not something you even know about. And then all of a sudden, something clicks and you start thinking, hmm. 
This is the way it works. This is the sin within us. We have to recognize this. We have to see this. Notice the words that he uses here. I think it's really interesting. He says that our desire is brought out when it is lured or enticed. Okay, so we think about lure, right? What what kind of a word is this? What do we think of? We think of lure, we think of fishing. All right, thank you. That one wasn't that hard. Okay, we think of fishing. So I have a fishing illustration here for you, okay? Try not to get hurt here. All right, so. Lure is something that you use to attract and to catch a fish. If you just throw a hook out there, you're not going to get anything. It's not going to look good to the fish. But there's another thing here. What lures you might not lure another. Okay? So look, I got this guy. Okay? This is something I don't know. Nobody's taken me ocean fishing yet. Okay? Hint, hint. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. I have no idea how big the fish are in the sea. Okay? But... I know being a Kansas boy and living in the Midwest in Tennessee that I could never catch anything in Kansas on this. Okay, it's huge. It's bigger than the fish that we like hold up and take pictures of in Kansas. Okay, like I would be happy just catching bait around here. Okay, but but I looked online and they said you troll this behind the boat and grouper love it. Okay, grouper love it. This guy. This is what we'd use in Kansas, okay? This is for panfish, okay? Catch you a nice crappie, little bluegill, some sun perch, okay? Lots of fun on this little guy. Do you think the grouper wants this? No. Okay? Do you think the crappie wants this? It's going to run from it. Friends, I want you to understand. In life, sin, temptations, some of the things, this is going to dangle in front of you, And you're going to go, ooh, this is going to dangle in front of you, and you're going to go, so what? But for someone else, they're going, ooh, and they're going, so what? Each one is lured. Each one is, is, is brought in. Each one, you could put me in a room with a pile of meth, and I would not care one bit. I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't. I know what it does to people's lives. I have no desire, inclination whatsoever to get involved with it. For others, it's a major sin. It's a major struggle. It's a major battle. Okay. You will never have to worry about your pastor sinning and being caught up because he stole tickets to go to the Orlando. What's the soccer team? Orlando city soccer game. I really don't care. Okay? But there's other things that, that dangle in front of me that I've got to watch out for. Do you see how this works? And just because, just because it's not something to you, don't downplay that it's a lure and a temptation to someone else. Don't look at them and say, well, how in the world could that even, how, how could you even think of doing that? Because they could turn and look to you and say, Why would you even go for that? That's the way temptation works in our lives. That's the way we think about temptation. So look at this. So so temptation is out of our own desire. It lures us. It attracts us. Then it leads to action. James describes the action here like giving birth. The desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. There's something here we need to bring out. 
Desire itself is not sin. The desire itself is not sin. We are all affected by sin. We all are going to be lured by different things. We're all going to see this guy swimming by and go, huh? It's what you do with it. Okay? Don't give up just because you have a desire for something. Sometimes people will go, well, it got my attention and there's nothing I could do. That's not what James says. James says when the desire is conceived, when it's acted upon. So what you have to do, what you have to learn to do is what is the lure that triggers you? What is the thing that makes you go, hmm, and stop it right there? That's how you fight sin. That's how you fight temptation in your life is you have to learn what tempts you and learn to cut it off before you act, before you act. Uh, James says here, again, desire, when it has uh, been conceived, gives birth to sin. This is the story of temptation. We are tempted, we are lured. Sin, uh, temptation meets opportunity, and then we have the chance to sin. If it doesn't meet opportunity, then, then we really don't have the chance just to sin for, for so many things, right? It's when, it's when opportunity and desire come together. You had better be on high alert. You had better close your shutters. You had better go to Orlando. You had better get out of the way of the storm because it's there. The third thing it says is that it causes sin. Desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. What is sin? Sin is an active act against the will of God. So God has said, do not do this. That is sin. Sin isn't just a mistake, okay? If you miss a math problem, it's not sin. That's a mistake. Now, if you miss a math problem because you were up all night doing stuff you shouldn't have been and didn't take it seriously and know you're supposed to be a good student, it could be sin at this point. But just in itself, a mistake is not sin. Sin is when we actively act against the Word of God. God has said, do not lie, and you lie, that's a sin. You see how that works? All the commands throughout Scripture, when we disobey them, it is sin. And our sin cannot be blamed on God. It is our own evil desire. Okay, so third, visualize the course of your temptation. So we've looked at the source. We've understood the force of temptation. Now I want you to see the course of temptation. Where will acting upon temptation in sin lead? Is it good? No. No. Listen to what James says here. He says, then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And when sin has fully grown, it brings forth death. Now, usually when you see a baby, you have to say, that's a pretty baby, okay? Even if the baby is not a pretty baby, you say, that's a pretty baby. Friends, right here, we can say, all say, this, these are ugly twins, okay? These are, these are horrible babies. Our sin, when it works in us, it brings about death. It brings about death. Uh, he uses this figure of, of, of birth and death twice. How does it bring about death? Let me give you a few ways. First, it brings about death in you. Every time that we sin, pieces of us turn ugly. It works in us. You don't see someone who is at, at, at the end of just, just completely bitter against God, bitter against life, bitter about whatever. You don't see that they sinned once and got that way. It's, it's slowly, incrementally, their life keeps dying. The spiritual life in them keeps dying. Um, some, some, some sins leave physical battle, phys, physical wounds on us. 
Think of people who have been in drugs for years and years, and you look at them and you can tell, you can tell what's been going on in their life. It's horrible. For many of us, we might not see it on the outside, but on the inside, there's this wretchedness because we're dying inside, and ultimately it will lead you to death and judgment before God. The second, uh, sin causes death in others. This, this monster of death, this monster of sin, it, it affects us. It affected the relationship between Adam and Eve, right? Before they sinned, they, they were together. There was nothing between them. After they'd sinned, they start covering themselves. They start hiding from each other. The relationship has been altered. They're, they're dealing with their children, one of them murdering the other. Because this is what sin does in our lives and our relationships. And ultimately, death to God. Our sin causes a separation from God. If we would spend more time visualizing what sin does, we would be less likely to sin. Do you see that? I want you to see that. If you understand the course of sin, where will sin take me? Will it make me better? Will this momentary pleasure, will this lure that looks so good if I act upon it, will it get me where I want to go? And the answer is no. If we think about it from God's perspective, if we think about it eternally. Let me, let me give you a quote here. I love this quote. This is from uh, a Puritan Richard Baxter. Okay, Listen to this. He says, use sin as it would use you. Spare it not, for it will not spare you. It is your murderer and the murderer of the world. Use it, therefore, as a murderer should be used. Kill it before it kills you. You love not death. Love not the cause of death. That's a good one, isn't it? Use it as a murderer should be used. Kill sin before it kills you. Friends, I want you to actively be thinking about the temptations in your life and how you can endure, how you can endure these temptations, how you can get through them. And the first is we have to admit the source is ourselves. The second is we have to understand the force. This isn't just a little thing to play with. This is something that is out to kill us and destroy us. This is out, something that's out to steal our joy from God. And third, visualize the course. If, if I go down this road, this is what will happen. And I don't want to go there. I want, verse 12, on the other hand, I want to stand before God, and I want to receive the crown of life, and, and I want to hear, good, well done, good and faithful servant. And to be able to do that, I have to fight sin in my life. Let me, I know, I know we're running at the end of time. We had some extra things. Please give me a few more minutes here so we can follow up because I want to bring this home with some application, okay? How do we do this? First is we have to deny our sensual desires. And I'm using sensual here because sin so often, not just, not just sexual sensual, but sensual in that it pleases us, right? That's why we sin. We go, ooh, that would be good. That would, that would feel nice. I would like that, okay? We have to learn to, we have to learn to not follow our sensual desires when they lead to sin. Um, instead of allowing sin to, and allowing, instead of allowing it to drag us into sin, we have an opportunity to say no. If we recognize the temptation, if we recognize the sin, if we recognize what sin will do in our life, we can say no. If lust is an issue for you, you have to learn to say no. You have to set up guardrails in your life. Perhaps you need a filter on your computer. 
Perhaps you need to set up a policy that I will not meet with a lady in her house. I will not be alone with another woman. Women struggle with sin, with, with lust also. Usually it's, it's relational. They just, they, they want to get, they want to, they want to get the attention of a man who is not their husband or they want to get inappropriate attention. You have to recognize that and you have to put up guardrails. Realize that, that, that giving in to this temptation of lust will destroy your life. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your family. This sin will not be played with. No man ever commits adultery on the first time they think about it. It's a desire that grows and it lures. They're thinking about it. They're looking for opportunities and then desire meets opportunity. Friends, be serious. Put it to death. Maybe it's gossip. Realize what you're doing to people by gossip. Realize what you're doing by spreading false things. Think about how it would feel if someone did that to you. Realize that this is a sin. Your life is not to be ruled by this. Recognize your weakness towards addictions. And this is very broad. I don't know what it is, but if there's something in your life that you just can't live without that's driving you, You need to think about it. You need to put some walls up. You need to put some barriers. You need to get some help. You need to get friends around you. You need accountability. You can conquer this through the power of Christ. Maybe it's just selfishness. I've met a a number of of elderly people. I'm not saying anyone here, and I'm praying and pointing you so that this doesn't happen. I've met a number of elderly people who get older in their life, and they just say, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want. I don't care anymore. And they become selfish and bitter and mean. Realize you live your life that way. You live your life just for you. At the end of your life, we're going to be trying to wrestle up people to come to your funeral. Okay? Don't be at ease with your sin. Whatever your temptation is, maybe this, maybe this you're saying, oh man, and maybe, I can't even see it so little, this little guy, you're going, ooh, that one. I don't know what it is, but it's there. Fight it. Recognize it and fight it. The second thing is, is that we need to seek out our spiritual desires. We need to seek out the things that put Christ first in our life. If we seek to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves, you will find that temptations weaken. They don't go away, but sometimes they weaken. Why? Because you're busy loving Christ. If you have a daily relationship with Christ, you're going to be less likely to be thinking about how you can commit sin all the time. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? Friends, I, I, I want to see you endure temptation. I want to see you fight. I don't know what your struggles are, but I know that we all have struggles. We all love the underdog story, right? Whether it's if the Cubs will actually come back. I can't believe... There, you know, it, it is where it is, but the Indians are on fire. Maybe it's the Cubs. Maybe, you know, the, the, the movie Rudy, we all love Rudy, right? Hoosiers, the karate kid, even, even the 1993 uh, box office hit cool runnings about the Jamaican bobsled team, right? <laughs> we love the comeback story. We love the little guy that had the huge mountain to overcome and he did it. Friends, think about this as your life with Christ and your fight with temptations. Why is God going to stand and give you the crown of life and say, victory? Because you're going to say, I fought this hard. Are you fighting your temptations?
If you're not, I pray this sermon would stir your heart, that it would awaken your soul, and that you would leave here, you would identify what this is in your life, and you would commit yourself, take action to fight sin. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. This is a a stirring passage. Lord, I know in my own life, Father, it has woken me to things. It has sharpened me.